from the top of the charts to the dusty $1 bin and everything in between, it's time for another review on Life to Labyrinth. All right. Here we go. Steven, how was your week? Uh, pretty good. Um, really, honestly, most doesn't most things don't change week to week for me right now, being on parental. Just oh, yeah. watch the baby grow, listening to him yell at me when I do things wrong, you know. <laughs> Standard baby stuff, how about you? Uh, yeah, pretty average. Um, just working. Kids are here tonight, two of the three anyway. It's funny because uh, my weeks largely don't change, kind of you know, like you were saying, being on pat leave. It's just kind of the weather changes. My weeks yeah. don't. <laughs> um, and uh, and having, you know, having two jobs for the last like five years and previous to this year, I was also a scout leader. And so like I had a thing every night of the week until COVID happened. And it's funny because COVID for me has been a like a, a time of like relaxing. I've never had this much free time before or I haven't in years. And, <laughs> and it's funny because I'm watching and like, I, I don't like have the financial freedom to like go anywhere and do anything, travel or, you know, go to concerts or movies even really very often. And even if I had the money, I wouldn't really have the free time in a lot of cases. And it's funny because my life is largely basically what people are experiencing now on COVID quarantine or COVID lockdown or whatever you want to call it. And I see all these social media posts about people just like, so upset that they can't travel or they can't go to concerts or they can't go to sporting events or go to movies or, you know, see their friends and stuff. I'm just like, Oh, turns out the way I've been living for the past five years is considered basically cruel and unusual treatment to most of these people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, I kind of get that, right? Like I only had the one job, but like my time used to be pretty packed just doing errands for people, like helping family. And like I took pat leave right as COVID really kicked off. Yeah. So yeah, I've just been left with all this wild free time. Like this is literally the first break I've taken from work in six years, not counting my like hip surgery I had to have. So mm-hmm. like to just have all this time and have to find ways to kind of fill it right now is is wild to me. And I totally understand why other people are upset because they're not used to be like they're used to finding the time when they need it. Whereas mm-hmm. for me, it's just been like, man, COVID's great because nobody's pressuring me to go do shit because of COVID. So I just get to do what I need to do with my day, like hang out with the baby, you know, play some games. Like it's just been this weird, like super vacation almost. Yeah, it's it's a funny that yeah my my annual experience has been largely sort of emotionally the same, where COVID has been. Aside from the stress, I suppose, of staying healthy in that, but you know, I think we've, as a society, mostly adapted to like this is our new normal until someone says differently, and that's turned into like actually having more free time. Yeah, and it's just like the first couple of weeks are really like weird because with baby being up throughout the night and everything, right? It was like I would catch a couple hours of free time throughout the day, um, but now that we're at the point where like baby has scheduled naps and sleeps through the night for the most part, at least. Yeah, I've just like just been enjoying the time to just sit and read or listen to a shit ton more music than I ever had time to before or play games I haven't had the chance. Like I have games on my system I probably bought eight, nine months ago and haven't played until this last couple, like five, six weeks. Yeah, yeah. I'm not much of a gamer anymore, but I've been that way with kind of like movies and TV shows where people are like, you know, watch this or watch that. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. Throw it on the list. And it's just, you know, like fucking parchment that rolls down the floor, right? I'm actually getting through them. 
Yeah, right. That backlog <laughs> then, yeah. shame that hangs over all of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, especially with this uh, podcast we've we've started up, you know, I'm able to spend a lot more time listening to music. And actually, now that I'm back in the office half the time, as I've, I think I mentioned in, in uh, previous episodes or previous conversations we've had, um, basically, no one else that works in my area of our office comes in on the days that I'm there. So I just have basically the whole front of the office to myself so I can just play whatever we're listening to quite freely or listen to whatever I want. I don't have to like worry about headphones or, you know, anything like that. Um, I can just kind of really enjoy it. I'll admit I didn't play a whole lot of Ace of Base at the office because I just didn't want to have to answer to that. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) But just touching on Ace of Base actually for a second, I found online, if you're interested, uh, Stephen or any of our listeners, I found a five-part documentary on basically the story of ace of base that came out in like 97 or 98 on youtube it's about an hour long and uh, it's on like i think like i'm not sure if it's an official ace of base channel but like the youtube channel is called ace of base Hmm. um and it talks about you know how they formed the band how they started writing songs it they touch briefly on Ulf's like skinhead past and he talks about how he basically got roped into hanging out with people or he found himself surrounded by people that he realized he didn't want to be around and he tried to change and that stuff. So as much as we had that whole sort of discussion last, last week about supposed or the ac- believed accused suspicion <laughs> of, yeah, the suspicion of like Nazi interest or the songs being about Nazis or something like that. Um, he was, you know, they talked about it a little bit. It, it, like, as we said last week it, in kind of, other interviews we've seen them do it was kind of glossed over a little bit he did speak to it and about his past and how he wanted to move away from that and you know and they were aware of it one of the comments we made last week is we didn't know if even the family that he joined the three siblings were aware of his past they absolutely were and so they saw it as him trying to grow as a person but i think we also have to remember that as much as nazis have been absolutely the enemy since you know the 1940s late 30s that the kind of the attitude that's around them at this point is largely due to how much white supremacy has kind of come out of the woodwork as a result of the american federal government and the american president so i think you know it's uh as much as you know we condemned them and i i 100 stand behind that i think it's important to remember that People in the late 80s and early 90s, like there was that whole skinhead movement and it was more like it, it wasn't the social stigma, I think, then that it is now. Because you remember even in Blues Brothers, they had Nazis and Blues Brothers and they were like goofy. Well, yeah, right. And we, we had this kind of pop culture journey was like around fascism and Nazism, essentially, for lack of a better word, where, you know, they were the ultimate evil. And then they got played up as the ultimate evil so much that it started becoming a running joke. Like only idiots and losers would think being a Nazi is cool and would join neo-Nazi things. And that's unfortunately a big part of what led to this resurgence we're seeing now is that that mentality festers best in the darkness when people are like dismissing it as ridiculous. And right. We've been seeing it for about 10 years now um, with that whole like, Shit, I never bothered to remember the guy's name. But the asshole who just like straight up is a self-professed neo-Nazi who got punched on the street several years back that became a meme. I mean, we saw a hard right dictator get installed in Portugal. Is it Portugal? I think it's Portugal. 
but like France had one. Um, and then right. The States having such a huge impact on culture and such a huge internet presence, their current presidential reign will say allowed those people to feel like they were finally in a, at a point where they could be honest about it and yeah. come out and make movements and march again without being persecuted. Yeah. And yeah, it, it all stems from way back when, when, yeah, Nazism was goofy and ridiculous and unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, it's a wild fucking time to be alive. <laughs> yeah. And I guess we'll see, as much as we aren't in the United States, their, well, I mean, their government really, you know, and the attitudes that their government puts forward really influence people here and how they vote and, you know, how safe they feel. It's funny for a group of people that are so quick to call those those of us in the millennial generation or people who are kind of politically left leaning to be snowflakes and oh you're looking for your safe space how Trump providing them a safe space to be right. <laughs> to be shitty has <laughs> sort of emboldened them to be proud of it and it's it's stupid. I don't want to go too much into that but I wanted to at least say, you know, we got a lot of sort of traction on social media for our Ace of Base episode. And um, if you have listened to it, and I just wanted to kind of go back and, and touch base upon, because um, there was some stuff that we touched on that we kind of didn't have answers to. We were kind of assuming and extrapolating on. I've subsequently sort of found a few answers to that, at least um, from the late 90s when they were kind of winding down from their their big status. So anyway, thought I'd touch on that. Just uh follow up from last week that's really good and, to know and yeah like yeah. you said at the end of last episode right or end of the ace base episode right was that right people change and i get that and as much as we mock it and it seems ridiculous fascism and like neo-nazi crews are expert manipulators and that's how they work is they pull you in innocuously for the most part and then they just they bury you so deep in the culture and the lifestyle that a lot of times people feel like they can't get out yeah I mean, like, honestly, I'm sure, especially as we, we keep going and I start putting out like punk albums and stuff, I'm absolutely positive you're going to find some like we're going to have artists. We have to touch on the fact that they were involved in it at some point because recruiting the disenfranchised and, you know, the quote unquote, like loser crew that punk music traditionally is formed by. That was a perfect breeding ground for that kind of sentiment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's cool to know. I'm glad we I'm glad you found that. It's really cool that we could kind of touch on it again. Yeah, uh, I was. Yeah, I, I watched it the last couple of days uh, over my lunch hour, um, lunch half hours, I suppose. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was cool. It, was, it had interviews with all of them. It had interviews with some of the producers they used. It had interviews with um, some of the first people that helped them get their records made, um, get their singles made. It talked about how they went about songwriting and and, um, and yeah, and it went right up until 97, 98, when it was just the three of them after Lynn had left. So uh, yeah, quick little follow up to our Ace Base episode. But uh, let's let's not make that a two-parter. Let's get into why we're here this week, which is the Dropkick Murphys, the Warrior Code. This was this was a you suggestion. This was a pillar of your childhood musically. Yeah. So, I think I kind of touched when we were talking, like wrapping up the Ace of Base episode, like thinking of the album that I remember the most or has is almost like the background soundtrack to my childhood. It was really hard, just because. My dad used to listen to music the same way I do now, where I'll just put it on like my playlist will go, you know, Nine Inch Nails, Johnny Cash, <laughs> Bruno Mars, 
to like tech nine like i just i shuffle through everything because i love just hearing all those different sounds like i'm never content usually just listening to one that's why i don't listen to a lot of albums in my free time usually but as i was going through like keystone albums i could think of like ramones rancid i even considered like iron maiden i kept coming back to this one because this one has a lot of songs that i my dad has listened to forever and like it probably has the largest collection of songs he consistently listens to on a single album and a lot of them are like we'll get more into it as we kind of go through the album but there are a lot of them that have like a personal touch to me personally and not just for my childhood but in relation to me being you know an army brat so like my dad joined the military when i was four so my whole life has been in about and around the military um and that's one thing about the drop kicks um and it's part of why they're so well received here in Edmonton is that they are very pro they're pro military so they're not pro war but they're pro like serving soldiers and honestly again there's a lot of crossover between kids who were into punk as you know teenagers who then became soldiers because fortunately a lot of punk a lot of punk rockers didn't either graduate high school or didn't go any further so they're they're really pro military and I know a couple of the their band members have shuffled so much over the years but I know a couple of their band members had pretty close ties to the military. So they always, they're always crazy respectful. They always make sure to, you know, do a memoriam and a shout out to the troops. Um, and if any of you listeners at home go back and listen to this album, you'll catch right away that there's, there's two songs that are explicitly about the military. Mm-hmm. So those have always just kind of held a special place in my heart. And it's another, like, I kind of touched on this a little bit last time that it's all still punk, but I find the, like the warrior's code does a good job of showing you that punk can be a huge range of things. Like they've got everything from like hardcore, like punk rock. They've got a bit of like one of their songs has a fucking mandolin in it. Like some of them are slow. Some of them are fast. And I just thought it was a really, it's a really good little snapshot of the like mid two thousands um, punk rock. And yeah, it's just, it, it's a cornerstone of, the music I listened to growing up and realistically without say drop kicks and the Ramones, I wouldn't listen to probably half the artists I do now because they're mm-hmm. just, they permeated everything for so long. That's cool. Um, I was surprised to find out that they were from the U S I thought these guys were Irish just listening to the way they sounded. And, and the fact that they did sing about the military, um, I sort of associate that with kind of like, like Irish people seem to sing about world war two a lot. And like, Europeans like they sing about the war the way Europeans do because mm-hmm. it just I don't know I don't have another thought of further than that but I was surprised to find out that yeah they're from Massachusetts yeah so <laughs> and, and um, not like Belfast or something like that <laughs> yeah so they're they're kind of from all over Massachusetts um Boston is what a lot of them call home um this <laughs> I mean this album's literally got a song called I'm shipping up to Boston they're yeah. huge 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 Boston fans um but yeah, they're actually, they're all either first or second generation Irish immigrant families who, for the most part, didn't get to live that American dream everybody was sold. Yeah. And I think that's that's a really big part of why I like the Dropkicks is because they do sound very authentically Irish. Like, they obviously grew up in the culture, yeah. um, but you also feel a lot of the American influence of, like, growing up in 
America in the 80s and 90s, po- like just after the Great Depression, you know, building up to like the Iraq War and all that. Um, yeah. There are like earlier albums too touch on a lot of that as well. Yeah. And if they're Irish descent, like if they're actually Irish immigrants, then something that arguably is glossed over a lot in American history because of the black slavery in the South is how Irish people and Italians were treated in America at that time. Yeah. Right. They were where, and I say America, but realistically, most of the world persecutes you know those of arab or middle eastern descent now mm-hmm. 20 30 years ago it was it was irish italian and jewish families that were getting a lot of that and that was because there wasn't a lot of immigration from the east they weren't they weren't public enemy number one so to speak in the states yet yeah so yeah you them singing punk music and them singing the type of music they do it all feels very like personal experience to me yeah yeah I just, I just think that's really cool but yeah they sound very irish and a couple of these tracks are just straight up covers of old traditional irish like folk songs but yeah. no they're just from all over massachusetts mostly lowell and boston i think <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome well um for me hearing the song for the first time i never i've never heard it before i'm probably have heard dropkick murphy songs as i mentioned last week some of the people i hung out with in high school talked about them a lot and loved this kind of music i never heard them before and i loved this album i can't say that one song to the other i think it was sort of like you with ace of bass where the songs all just kind of blended mm-hmm. but i loved it. it it was as if great big c and leaving from fear have been locked in a room with a couple of distortion pedals and told no one's leaving this room until you have an album made <laughs> and because it, it does it just kind of has that like that like party atmosphere of what we consider to be like you know the maritime celtic music that we have here in canada it's just you know and it's it's very punk rock but it's it's so like happy sounding yeah, music totally and, like, as soon and as just you said uh, great big c is such a good comparison yeah, it's just as far as, like local bands here go. That's such a good comparison. Yeah, and like they're they're massive for what they are. They play like kick-ass music, but yeah, it's as if somebody like and and but they don't they don't sing like Great Big C. So just like I just heard it, I'm just like this is like if Fear and Great Big C had a love child. <laughs> and uh, I love it. And it was awesome. Um, I really I really liked the experience of listening to this album and even like listening to it in the car with my younger kids, they don't particularly care much for what they consider rock music, which is basically anything that has a guitar and isn't, you know, um, a pop starlet. So, and even they didn't complain about this because I think it's happy sounding music. I think part of the reason they bitch and moan about the music I play is because it's a lot of minor key stuff. It's a bit sadder or it's heavier than this. This is, although they, they absolutely are you you know have just loud distorted grinding guitars it's not particularly heavy music and and i love the fact that at some point there was obviously a conversation with someone they knew who wanted to be in the band and they said well you know what do you play and he said the bagpipes and they said oh i'm sure we can find a spot for them in every song (laughs) right um and yeah i think that's a really good thing to touch on is that Right. Like you said, it's it's unequivocally punk rock, especially if you sit down and really look at the lyrics. They make no bones about being punk rock, but it's it's not the like gritty, hardcore punk rock from the like the 90s era. It's a lot more like major key. It's a lot faster. It's got a lot like lighter, flightier tones to it. Yeah. Um, And I think of the multitude of punk bands I could sit here and list, I think the Dropkicks realistically are one of the few that blend that that kind of high energy fun feeling with sometimes very very depressing or brutal like punk lyrics yeah but yeah warrior's code start to finish is just a pleasant listen because 
it's never just too it's never too in your face and just like gritty about it mm-hmm. it's just it's just clearly a group of friends making the music they want to make and they happen to be really fucking good at it <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i think you know i think it holds up you know i guess it, this album was released on june 21st of 2005 and i heard a lot of and at the risk of starting a fight i heard a lot of similarity in the way that the song structures were were done and the guitars were done and even some of the, like the the chord changes and stuff some of these songs really reminded me of like american idiot and sort of post american idiot green day songs Again, yeah. at the risk of starting a fight. <laughs> no, no, honestly. And like, I did touch on this before that my dad mentally hates anything past Dookie that Green Day did. I'm not in the same boat. I'm not a big fan of a lot. Most of their albums are write-offs for me, but they put out some pretty fucking banging tracks every now and then. And I totally get the comparison. Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't really have much to expand on that. I just, I for sure get that comparison. I don't think they're, I will say, I don't think they're as, say, pop punk as heyday green day or like some 41 good charlotte those bands are and actually like that's it's funny because that's actually part of something they touch on in one of the songs wicked sensitive crew but yeah they've got more of a almost like poppy fun feel to them Mm -hmm. and that's just sometimes it's a nice break like if i'm ever sitting down and just listening to punk music i'll always make sure to throw some drop kicks or some like ska bands in because sometimes it's just (laughs) emotionally and auditory like overwhelming to just listen to hardcore like angry punk rock for a long time (laughs) and it's just it's nice to have a break from that (laughs) yeah that's that kind of feeling i think is part of the reason that i started kind of drifting away from punk music and metal music in the past few years is i listened to so much of it and i just found uh, I found it to be quite exhausting after a while and just sort of distracting. I find music like this is, you know, unless you're sort of like want to be pumped up or you, you know, you're feeling like you want to be excited or something like that, or you're listening to it because you want to listen to that kind of music. It doesn't, it doesn't, in, at least in, in my life, it doesn't translate well to just kind of music to have on. That's why I've sort of gen- gravitated towards more like electronic music or slower music or like more ambient sounding music because I, I realized that it, that more than anything else sort of has signified me becoming an old man <laughs> but uh it's just you know like i used to listen to shitloads of like pantera and ramstein and really really heavy heavy music like everything that i could find at the same time i was really discovering punk rock in a big way i'm nowhere near where you are in terms of my understanding of the genre or my exposure to it but you know that's sort of where i went at that time and it just became so distracting it just it, you know i couldn't work with it on and i couldn't you know drive with it on in a way that didn't feel like i was probably being more dangerous than i needed to be <laughs> uh, yeah i totally get that like honestly in the last couple of years i personally have drifted from punk quite a bit for the same reason like i said i just sometimes it's just exhausting and yeah the only time i really listen to like kind of back-to-back punk a lot of times is if I'm doing like early morning driving and I need to keep my energy high enough to keep me alert and aware on the road, I'll yeah. throw on some punk songs because even though I find them exhausting on mass because they're so near and dear to my heart, a lot of times just hearing that familiar kind of punk rock sound from my childhood just mm-hmm. kind of gets me back into a good like positive headspace as weird as it is. But that's actually why drop kicks consistently come up is because it's like Warrior's Code, 
is more so than any of their other albums, but they're just, they're such an optimistic punk band. And I just, it's so nice to hear it. <laughs> like even when they tackle, you know, more taboo or harder like topics to talk about, yeah. they tend to have a much more overwhelmingly like positive spin on those things. And yeah, it's just, man, angry music is exhausting. Like you said, maybe it's maybe we're just both getting old, but sometimes it's nice to just have like a chilled out minor key song play. <laughs> I think I use music more as a tool in my life now. I used it as maybe a way of expression when I was younger oh, or um, a way to kind of deal with my feelings more when I was younger. I think I had a lot of anger when I was younger. I had a lot of sadness when I was younger. You know, as as kind of we all do when you're in your teenage years, early 20s, you know, you start to try to find your way for real in the world. And, you know, you realize how many things you just have no possible pr- preparation for, especially you and I becoming parents at a fairly young age. Like this throws a whole other level into it and trying to make a relationship work at a time when you're not really emotionally prepared to do that even very well. Definitely. So I think now that I'm sort of older and a lot of that in my life is kind of settled, music has become more of a companion than an expression. And so stuff like this or the heavier stuff I used to listen to, I still really like it. I just find so few opportunities in my life where it's the music that seems to fit the moment. I like the best concert experience I've ever had was going to Ramstein and I would go again tomorrow if it was safe to do so. <laughs> but in terms of like listening to Ramstein in the car or in my house or something like that, I just don't know where I'd find the moment to do that. And so this was, a, like I say, a really pleasant surprise. Because although it's not music I can necessarily put on to work to very easily, because I'd want to try and focus on what they're singing about, which is why I sort of stick to Vaporwave and Electronica and classical music, um, movie soundtracks and game soundtracks when I'm working. This kind of was a fun change up of all that. But again, my most of my listenings to this, I haven't I didn't get a chance to sort of put it in headphones and listen all the way through as I normally try to. This was a lot of in the car and at work listens. And um, the songs just kind of like, they just flowed, you know, like I'd put my earbuds in and like go to the grocery store with this album on. And I'd have absolutely no idea how many songs had gone by. But, um, but I wasn't like, you know, upset or anything. It wasn't really until, what is it? Captain Kelly's Kitchen, the slow one? No. Um, What's the slow song? The first slow song would probably be Green Fields. Might, maybe. The- yeah. Because Captain Kelly's is a like an Irish jig, it's for sure not slow. Yeah, no, I'm just like I said, I didn't make notes on this album, which was That's a mistake. Like, I should have. Wicked Sensitive's a bit slower. Um, like Green Fields is the one that sticks out to me because it's notably slower. Like it's it's a slow, like almost like a ballad song. Yeah, it's Green Fields, the Green Fields of France that I'm talking about. Basically, I was listening to this song in the car, and then in my earbuds in in the grocery store, and I was just you know pounding through the first you know half the album and then i got to this song and i was just like oh man <laughs> i even i find that like the first half of the album in particular really does and it's it's both a good and a bad thing like sometimes i like clearly knowing when a song has ended up moving into the next but the yeah. fact that especially the first say five or six songs flow so naturally into each other is just a testament to good music production like it makes it so easy to, like you said, just throw a headphone in and just listen to it and let it play. Yeah. Have you seen these guys live? 
I've seen the drop kicks live three times now. What was that like? It's it's so hard to describe kind of the sensation. So like the first concert I went to, and it's man, it's still like a testing point between me, me and my dad. The first the first drop kicks concert I went to. He had like assured me up and down, like, oh, it's it's an all ages show, like everybody's on the floor, you're gonna be able to like really experience it. Cause I was 16 at the time or 15. Mm-hmm. I think. Nope. I was up on a fucking balcony, like 40, 50 feet away uh, uh, with all the other miners, because there was bar there's a bar on the bottom floor where they perform. Uh, okay. So like that first concert was really fun. Um, they have an incredible stage presence. They're just they're so high energy, they're constantly moving, they're they shout out the crowd, you know, they do little interludes where they talk about stuff sometimes. It's really cool. Um, mm-hmm. But I gotta say, the second time I saw them, when I was allowed on the floor, such a weird, there's this like weird, almost like dichotomy in punk that you expect punk music to be angsty and hard and fast and angry. But like the mosh pit at the two dropkick songs I went to, and even like the mosh pit at the Rancid concert I went to, some of the most understanding and like, most kind-hearted people I think I'll ever meet in my life. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think it was actually a Dropkicks concert, the second one. We were all out in the mosh pit, and this, she must have only been 1920. This woman got knocked down in the middle of, like, a huge track. And when the crowd started to part to make sure, like, she was okay and somebody could help her up, the band actually stopped playing and was like, hey, help that person up, make sure they're okay. And then we'll continue. Cool. And I think I'll, I don't think I'll ever forget that. Cause it was just such a surreal experience to me that you're just, you're in this crowd of people jumping around and like super high energy. Like people were like throwing heads around, like headbanging, doing the like wall rush and shit, like a super aggressive mosh pit, but also somehow the nicest one I've ever been in. And yeah, <laughs> when the band noticed that like this little circle is forming, they actually just cut the music and were like, Hey, somebody make sure she's okay. Cause we're not playing until you do. And yeah, two people came out, helped her up, helped her get to the back because her leg was like hurt, got her set up at like a bar. And then the band kept going and business just kind of resumed as usual. And there's just this, there's this like overwhelming sense of positivity almost. Like I, I'm sure a lot of it is like when you're in that mosh pit, you're getting out a lot of like aggression and pent up like emotion and physical energy. Like you're just you're physically exhausting yourself to the point where you don't have complex thoughts or emotions anymore. Yeah. Um, and I found, especially in like the dropkicks environment, but kind of in all the punk shows I've been to in general, when you get people down to that bare minimum, they turn into just the most accommodating, friendly people in the world. Um, my best friend Jared actually his his glasses got knocked off at a at a Rise Against concert we went to together, and huh. like. 15 people in the crowd just stopped dead and started searching the floor for his glasses for him. It's <laughs> just some of the coolest experiences in places I never would have expected. But the band themselves have such an incredible straight stage presence. Like Ken Casey is just, he's a blast. Like he knows how to work a crowd and you can tell, you can tell everybody on the stage loves what they do for a living because every time I've seen them, they've just been at 110. Like, Oh yeah. They, they, they give it their all. They enjoy it. They take breaks to talk to the crowd. They bring people up on stage. So they have a song called uh, Dirty Glass. It's not on this album, unfortunately. One of their best. Go listen to it. Um, And every time I've seen that song performed, what they do is they bring one of the women in the front row up on stage to sing the song with them because it's a male-female duet song. Oh, cool. 
Yeah, they just they're super interactive and super fun. And like every time I've I've gone to see them in concert, I'm pretty sure they've played a three or four song encore every single concert. Like, and like it's one of those weird things you expect encores now. Like they're nothing crazy or special. You know, bands have a song or two prepared, but some of them like they literally. I've watched them walk off stage. Everything go dark. (laughs) One of the lights in the back like flipped on, and then he like Ken Casey just walked out. And started singing into the microphone again. Like the venue hadn't planned for it. And then his band (laughs) shuffled on stage and just started playing. It was wild. That's cool. A real encore. Yeah, it was. I like you could tell a bunch of people were super bummed out. There was no encore. And some people were like starting to shuffle out. And he just walked out on stage and started singing. It was wild. (laughs) I didn't think he was going to do Moon River. But then bam, (laughs) second encore. (laughs) Uh, um, yeah so like one of my favorite bands i've ever seen perform that's awesome this is this is probably the first artist we've talked about that one of us has actually seen live yeah i definitely haven't seen any of the other ones yet i haven't some i would kill to but (laughs) (laughs) sadly some of them are kind of dead right that's one big issue listening to a lot of old like old music and old punk rock is man all these all these singers and stuff are they're gone the bands don't exist no more, so you just can't go see them. Yeah, I was reading this interesting article this week. I, it was it was one of those like featured articles on some social media platform. I don't remember, but it was like bands that have no original members left. <laughs> it's like quite a few. There's some that I didn't even expect, but you know, like I didn't realize that everyone in Guar is not an original member anymore. I never would have known that. My dad. I never would have known that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the one that stood out to me, because I figured, I knew that the one guy had died, Odorous Ungris, or whatever his name is, Yeah. but uh, I didn't realize that he was like the last original member left in the band. Yeah, I just assumed it was mostly the originals, because Gore is just one of those bands that, like, their theme and their stage presence and their costumes, they're just so over the top. It's hard for me to picture recruiting for that band. Like, hey, yeah. do, you wanna, do you wanna strap on thirty pounds of armor and ten pounds of makeup and come scream into a microphone with me? This just seems like a hard sales pitch. Do I? <laughs> My go to joke for like original bands that don't really exist anymore is always Leonard Skinnerd, because they obviously had the plane crash mm-hmm. in the seventies. But basically there's only one guy left of the entire band. And it's just like, they're still going by Leonard Skinner, but to me, it's like, shouldn't this just be called Gary Rossington and friends at this point? Like, <laughs> there's like one guitarist left. Gary. That's it. Bounce. Everyone else is a replacement. Yeah, that's insane. Oh, well. So, you know, we've kind of been gabbing here for a while and yeah, there just... are 14 songs on this album. Um, only 41 minutes. Very, very punk rock typical. Yeah. Lots of tracks, not a lot of time. <laughs> like the old the old Ramones complaint, you know. Yeah. Did you ever hear that story about the Ramones where they they basically got they came back after, like they came backstage after finishing a show and the promoter was like what the hell are you doing? You're supposed to play for an hour or something like that. And and Johnny Ramone was like fuck you. Like we just played 30 songs. Like what are you complaining about? He's like you were supposed to be on for an hour and you were about. So they literally just went out and played the whole set a second time. Yeah, it's one of my favorite music stories ever. <laughs> I could like I could picture Joey just being like, nah, fuck you, dude. What the hell are you talking about? And then being like, all right, fuck this. And just be like, whatever. Just do the set again, guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, do it so we can get the hell out of here. <laughs> like, <laughs> go to uh, hell, you little bastard. Yeah. 
There are so many people I would never want to be in a band with, but I think Johnny Ramone is probably top of that list. Yeah. Like just, he used to find people for showing up late, like the band members. Right. I, it's just wild. And they All produce right. some of the greatest, <laughs> greatest music that's ever been produced, but... As far as I can yep. tell, all of them sucked, and they all hated each other all of the time. Like, I can't imagine how stressful being in that band was, especially in the beginning when they weren't making money. <laughs> oh my god, in a van. Oh, I, yeah. oh. we're gonna we're gonna have to shortlist the Ramones, and we're, I think we should do a whole month of Ramones at some point. There's just so much to talk about. It'd be yeah. fun to kind of jump through their catalog, but I'm only top bringing that up because we're talking about a punk rock band. So. Like I said to you, I don't really have notes on a lot of these songs. And for a lot of them, kind of like you with Ace of Bass, you didn't really have notes because a lot of them kind of just blended and became one big long song. But are there, is there any any kind of that you want to touch on or or jump to? Or do you have notes for a lot of them? Like, how, how did you want to approach this album? All right. So, yeah, like we had talked a bit off air. Um, I took notes on quite a few of the songs simply because a lot of the songs cover really either personal material or are wrapped up in a story or some sort of like key figure essentially Mm -hmm. a lot of it like you said does kind of blend especially the first half um but like i want to touch on like your spirits alive i really like i think it's a really strong opener it's a really high energy kind of get you moving for the album song yeah and so spirits alive was actually written in response to a friend of the bands who died in a motorcycle accident in 04 like the year before the album was released greg chicken man riley (laughs) that's right (laughs) it was also dedicated to a boston bruins player garnet bailey um, and another NHL player, Mark Davis, who died in the 9-11 attacks. So I think it's a strong song. I think it's a really good opener. You'll find kind of like we had touched on, most of the songs are less than three minutes. Some of them are barely two. One of them mm-hmm. isn't even two. <laughs> and I just think it's a really good kind of fun, fast intro. And it's it's a good, I'm trying to think of the right way, but it, it encapsulates a lot of the like traditional Irish mentality of wakes. The song is them celebrating the life of the people rather than mourning their death. Yeah. And I think that's a really good, it really helps set kind of the tone of the album you're going into where a lot of it is dedicated to people. And a lot of it sometimes is somber and sad. Like it's, it's a lot of them have tragic backstories, but they still infuse that kind of hopeful optimism into it. And I think the spirits, I think spirits alive, your spirits alive is one of the kind of, it's a really good kind of little, snapshot of that mentality you see a lot in dropkick music yeah it's it's a killer opening track like i say never having heard this album before like that came on with the bagpipes and slow and i was like yeah and you and just if you didn't know punk rock you wouldn't know it was coming next but i was like when someone gonna yell go (laughs) (laughs) and and then oh there it is sure enough you know the the bagpipes happen it's kind of somber and then yeah go (laughs) <laughs> and um, then it's just straight you know redlined <laughs> the whole way to the end yeah and like you kind of mentioned in the beginning bagpipes show up a lot I and mean, they use so many unconventional instruments um and a lot of traditional instruments and i yeah i, I love that slow <laughs> bagpipe buildup and then just <laughs> boom punk rock yeah and that's that's kind of the tone and the, like the pace a lot of the songs have and I just, I really love it. I think it's such a strong opener. And saying that, like, we didn't really touch on it much, but this song was, it's actually the Kick's fifth studio album. Like you said, came out in June 05, but it to date is still their best-selling album, which I honestly didn't know until I started doing research when we were listening to it. Hmm. But I totally get why. Honestly, I love, I love 99% of all of the work they've put out, but I totally get why Warrior's Code is their bestseller. It's got 
a killer intro. I think it's got a really strong outro as well. And it just does a good job keeping pace. When they change flow, like you mentioned a couple times, it's a bit jarring, but it's never, yeah. it never feels pointless. Like, especially with Green Fields, that like jarring momentum switch is, it helps you kind of recognize the severity and intensity of the song coming up. And you don't just breeze through it like you would with some of the other stuff. Mm-hmm. And then like, Following Spirits Live, Warriors Code. I mean, I'm just gonna preface this right now. Every song on this album's good. I love all of them. <laughs> There's not a single song on this album I don't immensely enjoy. Um, so to save me from repeating that 13 more times, just know I love all these songs. Yeah, I'll just I'll just join you on that as well. Sentimentally, I enjoyed all the songs as much as I pr- couldn't sing them all. Like for me to even pick out two to throw on my playlist, it's like I don't know, pick two random ones because they're all good. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, so they're I'll just yeah, I'll just agree with you. I think the listening experience is great. I think all the songs are good. You know, they're not complicated songs. Again, it's not rush, they're not prog rock, they're punk rock songs, but that's what they're for. They're to make you sort of like pump your fist in the air and feel excited. And it's yeah, so I, I agree with you completely. Yeah. This um, this is a I strong think... album and it's definitely one to listen to in totality. I think that's a really good point. And I think it's a it's a big part of kind of the replayability of this album is at the end of the day, regardless of the subject matter, they're all really simple songs. Like even if you can't maybe match their, like their tone, their cadence, their speed, it's really not too difficult to understand and kind of anticipate the lyrics coming up because, and that's, that's a key part of punk rock for sure. But it's something the dropkicks really excel at is writing really catchy kind of fist pumping high energy songs that have relatively simple, easy to kind of, parse through lyrics yeah and they have very strong like audience participation warriors code as you know especially since we're talking about it now you know you can you can just imagine and i'm sure you don't have to because you've been there yeah. you just you can just picture like an entire room full of people at a show fists in the air just screaming along with the band like this is this album and probably a lot of their music is designed to translate to an audience and from the stage really well so they can kind of share the energy with the audience and they can you know probably a lot of like mic out to the audience during the choruses of these songs and stuff like that oh yeah absolutely like they've got they've actually got a couple albums where their studio versions of the song have clips from audience participation in their concerts clipped in over chorus backings and stuff because that's a big part of their stage presence and yeah they're super super easy to sing they're super easy to just kind of fall like you don't feel weird or out of place or you're never questioning oh hey can i sing this like is this appropriate do i understand what i'm singing you're just like damn this is good give me more hell yeah mickey ward was awesome (laughs) right yeah um, yeah, like Captain Kelly's Kitchen, the that whole thing. You can just imagine like a, a packed room full of like sweaty punks, just like <laughs> drunk, so <true>. <laughs> <laughs> just oh, like yeah, fists in the air, just screaming along. Um, yeah, yeah so what a fun experience. Like, Warriors Code is another one. Warriors Code. Every time I've seen them, they've played it, and it's you're right. Warriors Code is one that they put the mic out to the audience every chorus because yeah. Everybody at that show knows that chorus. Everybody, nobody has to stop and think about the words. It's just about being part of the moment. Yeah. So a little bit of backstory, Warrior's Code, right? Tit- like titular song, what the album is named after. Um, this one touches on a Lowell, Massachusetts boxer named Mickey Ward. So any sports fans out there, I'm sure know Mickey Ward. Highly regarded as, if not one of the best welterweight boxers, one of the most in- entertaining 
and one of the most ferocious boxers out there. He won, I'm pretty sure he won Fight of the Night three separate times, um, two of them back-to-back fights. And he's most known for, he went nine rounds with an opponent, essentially. And the ref, I guess, had to step in and be like, hey, if you don't show me something, I'm calling the match. Like, you're getting your ass kicked. And then that final round, he went out and hit the hit his opponent with a single hook to the body and dropped him with a single punch. Like, uh, essentially, the ref was like, show me something. And Mickey Ward was like, oh, you want to fucking see some shit? And just dropped the dude. Um, is that the shot on the cover of the album? Because I know the cover yeah. of the album is him. Yeah, so yeah, the, the album art is Mickey Ward delivering his iconic left hook. Mm. And I see why they totally idolize him. And that's, that's a big part of their almost, like, mentality is... That like warrior spirit, right? Warrior's code, get up and fight until you can't anymore. And the only really thing of note for Warrior's Code is that when they made the movie The Fighter in 2010, pretty sure it's Mark Wahlberg flick. I don't think I ever saw it. They actually they played this, they played the dropkicks warrior code in the movie as almost like the character's theme song of a sort during one of the fights. Oh yeah. But yeah, I've never seen the movie. It just wasn't my jam. I only know because my dad immediately sent me a clip when somebody was like hey have you know have you seen they play drop kicks in this movie so like just the clip of the the sound the song playing but yeah good for them they got included in, in a movie five years after the album was released because the fighter is about mickey ward's early career yeah um but yeah so that is mickey ward on the the album cover delivering his you know iconic left hook i guess it was just like a vicious punch so cool still kind of another upbeat fast kind of flows really well in from your spirits alive Uh, I think the two songs thematically pair really well together. But leading into Captain Kelly's Kitchen, uh, which I kind of touched on earlier, is actually a cover of an old traditional Irish jig called Courtin' in the Kitchen. Hmm. They've changed some of the lyrics around just to make it rhyme better and a bit more palatable. Yeah. Whatever the fuck the word is. Um, (laughs) But that Captain Kelly's Kitchen is so fun. And the subject matter is pretty brutal because essentially it's just dude gets invited into essentially Captain Kelly's kitchen by one of the the workers. And I think the original, because it's such an old kind of ditty, essentially the help weren't allowed to have, um, we'll call them extraneous or romantic affairs. (laughs) Um, It might even have been something to do with like the difference in classes. Oh yeah. Uh, So Captain Kelly comes home in the middle of him courting in the kitchen. He gets busted. And in the original song, uh, the woman he's there with throws his jacket in the fire and then essentially punches him. <laughs> and then <laughs> runs up to Captain Kelly and is like, hey, he broke in. Um, so he gets shipped off to jail. <laughs> and that's, that's still the theme of the Dropkicks version. Um, like I said, they took out the part about setting the jacket on fire. But yeah, the whole song is essentially he goes, he goes to get a quickie with <laughs> the maid in the kitchen. And then the owner of the house comes home. And she fucks him over and he gets hauled off to the police for a warning because she says he broke into the house. Yeah, and it's just bitches ain't shit. Right? It's just a crazy fun, really upbeat. And I think Captain Kelly's is the first song on the album where you distinctly they may not actually be Irish, but you distinctly feel that they're Irish. Yeah. It's a really, really well done punk homage to Irish music because it simultaneously feels era appropriate for punk but it also still kind of feels it could word for word still be a traditional jig and i think that's oh, yeah on the few of the like truly irish songs they have i think that's something they do really really well to be both kind of separate and both at the same time so like captain kelly's yeah. jig is one of my favorite tracks on this 
album just because it's really fun. It's good. It's easy to listen to. Yeah, it's one of the ones that my kids started singing along to in the car. Mm-hmm. And you hear, you hear Ken Casey's accent a lot. I find on Captain Kelly's Kitchen, you can tell he has a bit of an Irish drawl underneath his like Massachusetts accent, like <laughs> Boston accent. Yeah, right. It's such an odd combination, though. In Boston, I'm sure you hear it all the time because Boston Probably. is a huge like Irish immigrant population. Yeah, it's like kind of a weird mix of Bostonian and Irish. It does really well. It lends itself to that kind of song really, really well. Awesome. Yeah, you like Captain Kelly's Kitchen. I'm all on board. Like, it's gonna be one of those weird things that like I like them all. So it it really did take me a tremendous amount of time to pick which one I like the most somehow and which one I like the least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So after Captain Kelly's comes The Walking Dead. Honestly, of all of them, I think Walking Dead's. I don't want to say it's forgettable. I could still sing it in my head pretty easily. I could, if you asked me about it, I would know what song it is. Yeah. But The Walking Dead's one of the few ones that kind of just touches on who they are as a band, right? So like the chorus is what's so new about what you're saying. It's a new generation with the same sad song. And that's directly kind of parsed out and sent to that resurgence of punk music that started in the mid 2000s and kind of carried through to about 2010, say 2015, that... It touches on the fact that new generations are coming through, but it's depressing as shit that nothing's truly changed, right? Like they're talking from 40 years of experience and he's essentially just saying like, we try to make it better for those that come next. And like, we've obviously failed, kind of hope you don't. But I think it's, especially in America, it's a really politically important song on the album in that it just directly correlates to the general mentality and the unfortunate lack of progress that America had for so long and is Mm -hmm. potentially experiencing again now. So like, again, I think it's still a really good song. I think it's one of the, it's one of the first slower songs. Um, The tempo really changes, especially from Captain Kelly's kitchen. Mm -hmm. It's a lot more kind of downplayed, but it's still just, I mean, the music bed's so good. The instrumentality is very good. I love the singer's voice. I think it's, I think it's a really good blend of that almost like, kind of like gritty garage punk sound and clear impressive vocals somehow Um, i think the walking dead does a pretty good job of showcasing vocals i'll be honest the band has rotated so much and they all share roles so much i couldn't confidently tell you without having the spreadsheet in front of me who sings what and who wrote what because they've had some of their songs they've written some are written by three four other people We'll get to one later that's literally taken from an old scrap of notes in Woody Guthrie's like archive of music notes yeah. that they turned into a song. Yeah, and if you look at their Wikipedia, they have eight past members. Right? It's it's just too much. I, I can't possibly I have a pretty and bad memory six for current members. Part, so. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a wild with all the different instruments they've had and all the different things they've experimented with over the years. They just have such an incredibly huge roster. Yeah. But I think the vocals in The Walking Dead are really good. I think they're highlighted really well without losing, you know, the intensity of the instruments. Yeah. I I think it's cool because it starts off as a very simple song. It's almost like Molly's Lips by the Vaseline. It's like two chords just back and forth, mm-hmm. except they're going instead of Molly's Lips, it goes down. They're kind of going down it kind of backwards mm-hmm. and then it just explodes in this big chorus with like you know it sounds like six or seven different people singing at the same time i think that's that's the fun part about this and why it makes me think of like great big c or like those maritimes sort of celtic bands is that 
there's obviously a lot of people in the band and they all have a microphone and they're all more than happy to join in on the chorus, which obviously makes the album sound big and makes the album sound exciting, but it also makes you want to go see them live mm-hmm. because it's like, if they're bringing this much energy on the album, what's it like when they're in front of, you know, a couple of thousand screaming people? Yeah. That's something I think I really like about quite a few other songs is that, that almost like dramatic lead in to the noise explosion that's coming. Yeah. I think it, it helps to prevent that, like almost like system shock or exhaustion of constantly being bombarded with full, big blast tracks back to back. Yeah. So yeah, I agree with that. And yeah, I think they do a pretty good job of representing their enthusiasm and their energy throughout most of the album. Um, And that's something that it's weird. So they're not my favorite artist I've ever seen perform live. But they are the one I would go back to. I would, they could do the same tour two years in a row, and I would go to the show both times, no hesitation, because I know no matter what happens, it's going to be a good damn time. Yeah, they're one of those bands where you could go, and if you're in the right mood, you could go, not know any of their songs, and come out and just be like, that crushed me. Like, that was so much fun. Yeah. That was awesome. I'll never forget that, like, leaving the concert feeling refreshed and like amped almost but also just feeling clear and like exhausted like a sense of almost like clarity just from pushing myself to the limit to match that energy the whole time i just i came out of the concert feeling better and it's one of the few things that like that's that's just something i'll never forget and i'll always know it was the drop kicks that did that because they're the only concerts i've ever really experienced that at. Hmm. so yeah walking dead good track <laughs> at the end of the day they're all good but some are better so sunshine highway the next one Great song. I really like this one. So good. Um, honestly, it, I would put this as my favorite. It's like um, Sunshine Highway, Greenfields of France, for kind of reasons we'll touch on later, and Wicked Sensitive Crew are absolutely my three favorite songs of this album. Yeah. So I, I sat down and I just kind of listened to them individually. And it's just Sunshine Highway is a song I've known since I was, shit, like, what, 12, 13 years old. And it's a song I've always known. It's a song that still pops into my head week to week. It's just, it's got a fun, the music's fun. The lyrics are simple, incredible. They're really easy to sing along to. It's such a, it's such almost like a generic punk song because Sunshine Highway 100% is about one addiction or the other kind of reports vary on whether it's drugs or alcohol, but the whole song is about going out, having a bit too much fun with your friends, (laughs) getting sent to rehab, experiencing rehab for the hundredth time having yeah. all your, your friends in rehab that you're used to and then leaving and eventually just making the same mistake. And it's just, it's just fun. It's just a really love, enjoyable song. Yeah. I love songs that have like dark lyrics, but they're incredibly upbeat. Mm-hmm. Just the way they fool people. Like this <laughs> song apparently has been featured on Royal Caribbean uh, sports deck. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just looking at the Wikipedia for it, and it's like Sunshine Highway was the first single from this album that has uh, and has been featured on Royal Caribbean Sports Deck, even though the song is about drug rehabilitation. And I fucking love that. I love when songs like trick trick people. It's it's just so beautiful in my mind. It's like when people use pumped up kicks mm. and they completely miss it. Like, did, did you ever see that thing that came out? It was on Reddit a while, like probably about a year ago, and it was like some high school in the states had put together like um, one of those like welcome back to school videos and the music they were playing over top of it was pumped up kicks. <laughs> so 
I haven't seen the comments were like, um, <laughs> that's incredible. But I will say, being the incredible group of shitheads we were in high school, Pumped Up Kicks was almost our graduation song. Like it, was, it was almost the song we all walked out to because they just did a poll and they were like, hey, grade 12s, tell us what song you want. Yeah. So we just spread it throughout this core. Like, oh man, we're putting Pumped Up Kicks as like option number one. Make sure you vote on it. And it was like a week and a half out from like graduation <laughs> when one of the teachers, I guess, sat down and read the lyrics finally. So like <laughs> we show up at school and we get an announcement first thing in the morning. You know, we have we have altered plans for the song we're using for graduation as it has come to our attention. It's highly inappropriate. And you could just feel the whole school just like, oh, man. <laughs> like yeah. that, that simultaneous God damn it. But like. <laughs> yeah we couldn't believe it like it was like a week or two out a teacher finally read the lyrics but yeah we almost <laughs> walked out to get our diplomas to pumped up kicks <laughs> oh my fucking, that would have been amazing right <laughs> uh, uh, did you end up just going out to time of your life like everybody else uh, i can't remember what bullshit paramore <laughs> no effects song it was at the time <laughs> it might have even been fucking evanescence honestly this is bad. <laughs> it felt like a personal punishment because we tried to make pumped up kicks happen. But I'm very impressed somebody through intention or not. I'm glad it happened in some form because that'll always be one of my like few regrets from high school is, damn, I really wish we could have made that work because <laughs> fuck, that was perfect. <laughs> oh, well. But yeah. So right. Sunshine Highway, like <laughs> the second, um, the second verse, like my favorite line is I've had my share of Mount Pleasant Messiahs wearing slippers and robes trying to bum my smokes. And it's, yeah, it's just this song is very much about being a unrepentant alcoholic that just can't be helped because they've tried and it hasn't worked. But it has yeah. that really fun, positive spin on it. So honestly, I'm sure as a kid, I didn't fucking realize what the song was really about. I thought it was just fun. But now it's it's for sure. It's my favorite. It just it just sticks with you. Yeah. One reason or another. Yeah. Or yeah, that nurse is a bitch. This sucks. She says my jug ain't allowed. Dude literally tried to bring a jug of fucking moonshine into rehab with him, which is 100% something I could see them doing. <laughs> the man's a legend, okay? Come to him a break. <laughs> right. We got your room prepared for you. Like, And where can I put this? <laughs> the fridge. So yeah, if you don't listen to anything else on this album, go listen to Sunshine Highway. It's a goddamn fun song. <laughs> You'll be singing it for a week. It's going to get stuck in your head. Yeah, it was. It, I got to admit, as much as like the songs were blurring, when it got to Sunshine Highway, I was like, "Oh, we've reached a drug song." <laughs> yeah, you just you know it in your bones. <laughs> yeah, it's like Sunshine Highway. It's like whether you have any concept of drug slang or not, you know, unless you're a child, you're gonna rehear the song and be like, "Ah, drug song." <laughs> yeah, right. And like the first, like three lines in, he specifically mentions the drug peraldehyde by name which is a drug they use for convulses like convulsions and alcohol rehab <laughs> like to just be on like a first name basis with your rehab drugs wild <laughs> but also very fucking punk <laughs> yeah yeah um, so yeah sunshine highway very good it's my personal pick for fave track on this album awesome and i think it leads into wicked sensitive crew very well mm -hmm. so wicked sensitive crew it's it's a weird fucking song i really like it so it's really fun i love them kind of poking fun at that big tough punk kind of mentality so this song was actually specific and he mentions it in the lyrics like he all like he calls australia out for sure 
Um, and I think he mentions another one. For a couple years, almost like Manson did for a while, the dropkicks kept getting bombarded by conservative like countries or conservative like provinces, states as being hyper violent and their music and their album art, you know, was promoting violence and anarchy. <laughs> so they yeah. wrote Wicked Sensitive Crew as a direct response to that. <laughs> so like, <laughs> it's lyrically, I think, one of my favorite songs. At one point, the, the lead singer starts singing about having a poster of the like lead singer of from the darkness in a meat suit and just uh-huh. kind of like slowly drifts out <laughs> as he starts to realize nobody else is on board with what he's saying. And it just <laughs> feels very real. <laughs> like it feels like a conversation they sat down and had at one point. But yeah. So like, right. The whole idea is that like, <laughs> if punk is scary and violent, we're not going to be that, but we're still going to be punk. So like the second verse, I ain't ashamed. I cried when Mickey died in Rocky two. Yeah, that was one line I wanted to touch on because I found an interview where they said we're well aware Mickey dies in Rocky three, but two rhymed better. So fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) We're like, we literally changed it just because it fit our rhyming scheme better. And that was less work than finding a rhyme for three. (laughs) Yeah, apparently it's in the album credits. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I knew I'd seen it as like a quote. (laughs) But that was one thing, like finding a lot of information about stuff was like hit or miss. It's either there's a shit ton of information available online or there's nothing. Yeah. But yeah, like one of the thing is like near the end, they mention Teddy Etal. That's only important because um, Ted Huggy Bear Etal is one of the most influence, like influential, almost like partners of punk music. So mm-hmm. he owns a super famous venue in Albany, New York that okay. has been playing punk music forever. And that was one of the things I, I had a really hard time finding any information on Teddy Etal at all, like Teddy Etal. It's just like you search for it and 90% of your results are who is Teddy Etal from the song. But either way, he was a concert promoter for years and years and years in Albany, New York, like a cultural hotspot of the beginning of punk. Um, And Ted made his kind of made his mark on the music industry by booking like almost exclusively like punk rock, um, heavy metal, you know, like death metal bands when other people weren't going to give them the time of day. So I couldn't find any, like a lot in the way of specifics, but I know that when you start looking into punk music and especially the start of punk in New York, Teddy Tall comes up constantly. He's always in the background, organizing things, helping bands out. And apparently he's just one of the most lovable men in the world. He apparently, he comes out in between like band sets and talks about, you know, being tolerant of each other, having a good time. He encourages people to like, you know, shake the hands of the people sitting next to them at the bar. He'll buy drinks for everyone. He's apparently just this super fucking awesome dude in New York. Who's one of the few key factors in getting punk rock momentum building to where we were able to mainstream it the way we have now. Um, But yeah, it's just a fun, ridiculous song. Um, You know, pop punk tough guys with neck tattoos well if you guys are hard then i'd rather be soft man i've got to find me some seriously sensitive dudes <laughs> um yeah so he mentions in pittsburgh they call this closed-minded um but we know that's simply not true and he says in sydney they misunderstood us they call this thugs and mean-spirited types he says yeah we might not be swedish and we sure ain't vegan but do thugs have posters on the bedroom wall of the dude from the darkness and then yeah he like slowly trails off as the music all drops behind him and it's just a really fun, campy kind of moment in the middle of the song mm-hmm. where you even hear one of the other band members goes like, man, dude, that's gross. <laughs> and I think he replies <laughs> with, no, it's cool. 
<laughs> just yeah, another especially following the kind of energy from Sunshine Highway. It's just a really fun song. Um, yeah, the the tempo and it's great. The interplay between the different like vocal singers as they switch between verse and chorus is really good. I don't remember Wicked Sensitive Crew having that big like burst moment almost. It starts off a little bit slower, I think, at the beginning, but you kind of keep that same tempo throughout, and it's just like a really nice, easy listening, fun, fast song. Yeah, it's it's hard to sort of distinguish one versus the other because yeah, they they all they all just kind of really hit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like we'll kind of move on wicked sense of cruise man instead of me just saying like go listen to the song listen to the goddamn album it's 41 listen minutes album. It's even though it's 41 minutes. tracks go it's so much fun even if you don't like punk and even if it's not something you've ever considered give it a shot because if there's any like at, like old school punk music out there you're gonna enjoy it's probably this album yeah i mean this is like feel good punk it's this is not like hardcore stuff this this has these guys are singing like core you know in in, not harmonies but like you know it's like group singing there's fucking bagpipes in it there's slow songs they're singing about like people who are important to them it's not terribly political i would say this is like a good toe in the water yeah i think this would probably if not the album one of the albums i would recommend to somebody who was curious about kind of getting into punk because this would be a really good like hey here's some almost like easy listening punk give this a shot and kind of see how you feel and we'll go from there yeah sorry this is one of the times where these like song seven essentially so it's one of the few times where i felt the like the flow of the album was really good so sunshine highway and wicked sensitive crew are really fun almost like poppy optimistic songs and then you get into the burden and the burden's still a very optimistic, happy song, but the the subject matter of the burden is them singing about a friend or a family member. Um, it was one of the few songs I couldn't find any information on. But the the main character in the song is Frankie, and the song is all about how Frankie's sickly and lonely, and people keep saying, you know, Frankie's not going to make it through the year. But the hook is literally Frankie's going to be all right. Um, yeah. So it touches on some pretty dark, like implied like suicidal thoughts and you know societal rejection but it always makes sure to end on but frankie's gonna be all right like no matter Mm. what shit happens this person and kind of consequently you are stronger than what everybody else gives you credit for and even though it might not feel like it you're gonna pull through i love that they, they made sure to get your energy your optimism really high up before bringing it in and i like that they did it without it being a sad somber experience right in the same way that your spirit's alive it's almost like a an optimistic like wake song as it were so while the burden isn't one of my strongest tracks on this album i really really like it it's simple it's easy to digest and i think it touches on important subject matter in a way that's easily digestible like it does it without throwing you out of the album completely yeah that's kind of my notes on burden i couldn't find a lot of like personal information about it but it's a it's a solid song same thing it's got that like more somber kind of lyrical subject matter but it's always held in that positive light yeah i wish i had more to say in this episode i just i liked the album and i think it's really just like a listening experience i think you know it's called the burden but it's got a great chorus and it's got like good musical dynamic and the guitars are good in it like it's almost synthesizer keyboard in it at moments like it's right. a cool I, little song. i actually meant to ask you about that like does that sound synthy to you because it did to me yeah and I was like, maybe it's just the way i'm listening to it but 
yeah, like they just they kind of do a little bit of everything. Um, yeah, and it's, I mean, it could be bells, it could be actual bells, but I mean, why would you haul in a full set of bells just for like the ding 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 in this song? Right, and it's but it's one of those crazy things with drop kicks is that's straight up 50 50. Did they, yeah, like it very well could be bell sound, or did they have someone bring in a fucking table of handbells so they yeah. could play this one short little musical bed out on them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's something we don't really talk about much in the podcast, but I think it's important. Kind of, this album's a good instance of it, but as much as we talk about and kind of try to dissect and discuss the album's flow, its themes, sometimes there's just albums we're not gonna have a lot to dissect or digest about it. Yeah. So your best bet is to just give it a shot. Give it a listen through. See how it makes you feel. Reach out. Let us know how you felt listening to it, whether you agreed or disagreed with us. Yeah. But like the Warriors Code for sure is one of those, even without much to say about it, it's really hard to, like, even if I had an hour's worth of facts about this whole album, it'd be really hard to convey to you the kind of energy and enthusiasm that's in this album. You only really get that from listening to it. Yeah. So this is for sure one of those albums I would kind of like, almost insist you give a shot even just pick and choose a couple songs out of it that you like the intros to just get a feel for how it how it plays because this album in the way that the gorillas is almost like a keystone of the gorillas experiences the visual aspect of watching their animated band and their music videos the kind of emotion and feeling you get from an album like this a lot of it is just from listening to it Um, i can't sell it to you any better than (laughs) i already have you just got to give it a shot. Yeah. So like moving on from the burden, you've got where you said it doesn't get too political. You've got Citizen CIA, which is the one truly through and through anti-government American political song that you have to have. It's, it's you know, punk rock bingo. It's got to be on there. Yeah, um, you got to check it off or it's not a punk rock album. Exactly. And I think it's really good. And it's it's it tackles a lot of the issues in American politics and a lot of like american mentality especially regarding for that solid like 12 years where they were constantly either in or starting a war mm-hmm. right like so like the second verse of citizen cia is it's i've trained an army for my kids to fight one day we'll teach them all our secrets and then we'll walk away we're neat i think it's we're knee deep in gorillas yeah the party never stops united states of america undercover cop and it's not something you hear addressed a lot but that is a big part of especially the cia they've done some dirty fucked up shit over the years but that's what they do is they they create a generation with a fanatical mentality that they can weaponize and then just abandon it and it's up to the previous and the future generations to clean up the mess from that yeah and like citizen cia is literally only a minute and 30 long like it's the shortest track on the album by like almost a full minute and it's just it's good it's citizen cia is one of the like much more punky like punk rock style songs it's fast, it's hard, it's kind of like gravelly and distorted. And it's, again, two simple verses with a two-line chorus, I'm pretty sure, like just a hook for a chorus. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you've got to have some sort of anti-government, anti-policy song on your punk album, and that's the one for this one. <laughs> so like, not yeah. much really to say about that, unless you have notes about that. I don't. I think it's it's the perfect length. It just, it hits, it gets the me- political message across, it checks the box. They said what they wanted to say. They didn't mince words. They didn't fuck around. Minute 28, call it a day. Right. That's that's such a good point. Like the shortness of the track, A, helps. it helps to keep it from really derailing the energy and flow of the album. But yeah. it's, it's the perfect type of punk song. Like get in, say the kind of bare minimum in the straightest terms you can and get out. 
right? That's what we talked about with the Ramones playing a 30 song set in half of their set time was just like, this is it. This is what we want to say. Now we're done. We're leaving. Yeah. We're not going to screw around with guitar solos or instrumentation breaks or, you know, drum solo or any of that fuck. Just like, just, just keep hammering out the song. (laughs) I love, I love those kind of punk rock songs where it's just like, it's like a fucking blacksmith. It's like, you're in the furnace and you're on the anvil. You're in the furnace. You're on the anvil. They don't fuck around. you know. Yeah. Um, And yeah, and that's, that I think is one of those things that kind of shows that dropkicks have been around since man, at least early nineties. Let's take a look. Yeah, I told that totally should have been a note I have. I don't know why, but dropping uh, formed in 1996. Yeah, so just as Ace of Base were starting to fall apart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right when we were, we had the grunge into that like over the top poppy synth music, and then we crested that hill and we were coming back down into the more like angsty punk genre again. And you could see where Dropkicks started in 96 and then just kind of kept evolving as they went. And Citizen CIA is such a, it's like a little time capsule in 2005 of early 90s punk music, that two minute track, because we couldn't afford any more. This is what we sound like. This is what we're saying. And I just, I think it's really cool they included it. Um, Yeah. I think one of the most kind of jarring transitions between songs is probably from citizen cia to greenfields of france totally that that placement is really wild to me because they have other songs on the album that would flow into the greenfields of france better yeah so like moving on to the greenfields this was another like really strong contender so this is a cover of a song called no man's land and actually it might have been a poem originally by um eric bogle and this has been covered in every form fashion by dozens hundreds of indie and majorly successful bands and this one is one of those it's really really kind of like it hits me really deeply personally so greenfields of france speaks to the the rows of crosses in france from world war one and that's the narrator essentially is walking through this cemetery and decides to sit by a gravestone and speak to the soldier who fell mm-hmm. and in the dropkicks version right like he talks about how he was only 19. He asks, like, I, you know, he says, like, I hope you died quick. I hope you died clean. I hope they gave you the proper soldier's burial. Asks, will you be remembered? Or, you know, is there one person out there in the world who knows who you are? And once they're gone, that's it. And it's very, very somber and sad because it's yeah. one of the few sad songs that doesn't really have an optimistic twist to it. Like, he even goes on to talk about how, like, the the soldiers who fought in World War One were told it was the war to end wars, literally, that no... Yeah massive world scale war would ever be waged again because of how violent and bloody world war one got and then he mentions like it was it was all in vain like it happened again 10 years later like 20 years later sir and yeah world war one is fascinating in terms of like a history point of view a buddy of mine he's actually like a war historian and he focuses heavily on world war one he and i often trade shit back and forth that we find online and the thing that sort of blows me away about war is yeah it was like these kids in a lot of cases were sent off die in the mud in france over nothing like you think of the thousands and thousands of like young boys or you know teenage boys or you know whatever they were thought of you know that they they just propped them up as men at the time who weren't even old enough to drink in the united states or you know in today's world rent a car and they, they were sent off to die by the thousand over like meters of ground. Yeah. You know, it just, it blows me away. And, and it's, 
you know, I'm glad that it's, I'm glad in this case, it, it you know, it, it is a sad song because as much as I was just saying, I love songs that lyrically are one thing and musically are so different that they trick people. There's nothing happy about the unknown soldier. It's just sad. And right, that's where I said, like where you mentioned the first like slow song, this one immediately jumps to mind because it is, it's slow. It's like, it's backed by like bagpipes for most of it. Um, there's no hardcore instrumentality. There's no punk rock vibe. It's just, it's a traditional song about, you know, this 19 year old soldier's grave. And it just, it touches on how horrific the war was and how insane the fallout from it was and how the human race fell back into it again. Yeah. So it obviously as my dad served my entire life. Um, he's released now due to an injury. Um, but my brother serves now too. And my brother signed up when he was 18, 19. So, and it sounds morbid. It's one of those weird things in military families. Like, especially when they're overseas, you have that ever present, maybe today's the day, but yeah. you don't, you don't live with that day in day out. You just, you couldn't, it would break you. You just, you learn to adapt. And I'll sometimes just sit down and sing and listen to the Greel Field of France because it's, it's a nice, it's a, it's a way to almost break the apathy of living that life. Um, mm-hmm. And this was one of those, like I said, the dropkicks are huge, huge supporters of soldiers, especially the world wars, because we know that, 90% of the, the soldiers who served on both sides weren't there voluntarily. Like it was, you do it or we kill you in the street. And it's an incredible Maybe on the German side. I think the story of at least the Canadian war is that it was a lot of, it was a lot of volunteers. Yeah. And that especially like world war two, especially had a huge surge of volunteers. And that was because especially in the States um, and then Canada quickly followed suit the way we framed the war as good versus evil defend your country um you know from the ultimate evil of the nazis and there was a lot of that in world war one of that fanatic patriotism essentially yeah but right none of those it's like you talked about kids none of those kids really knew what they were signing up for no they thought it was going to be an adventure we're going to go to france and we'll be home by christmas right it was a lot of them had served at least for a couple years and there were some older people who had served because it used to be mandatory to serve at least for a few years Um, especially in England, they thought it was like, oh, we're going to go to France. We're going to march around. We're going to deter the threat without having to fight. And it just, it turned into the bloodiest, most horrific battleground the world had ever seen. And yeah, yeah, those kids and their families weren't fucking prepared for that. And I think it's really, it's awesome to me that this is the longest track on the album too, at almost five minutes. And Mm -hmm. it's so, it's so, cool to me that they took the time and they took so much time to touch on something that's incredible and impactful and like i said this is one of those times they really deviate from being a punk rock album because it's slow focused instrumentals you hear bagpipes um it's just an incredibly moving powerful song yep that has always stuck with me and honestly probably always will but yeah it's it's a nice almost little peek into not so much what it's like now but what it was like then. And it's important we remember what the First World Wars were like, right? Because essentially the ability to gloss over atrocities of World War I is what directly led to the amount of conscriptions for World War II. And I think it's super important that we do our best to avoid that from ever happening again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an incredibly impactful song. It doesn't make me cry, but it comes fucking close every time I sing it. <laughs> There's very yeah, few songs that like, whew, I'll waterwork for. 
but this one like <laughs> it just it's almost like i it's it's almost like a reverence i have for it and for the subject material i couldn't cry singing it because i have to sing it when i'm listening to it yeah you, you could put this song on fucking anywhere and i'm gonna belt that shit at the top of my lungs regardless of what present company might think of it <laughs> and it was one of the few songs too like listening to this album with danielle that she was like man this song's so fucking sad stop putting it all on and i was like i can't <laughs> i can't skip the green fields of france i'm right like for years that was my dad wanted the green fields of france played at his funeral if he were to die overseas it's just always since it dropped it's been a big part of our musical history um and it's one of the few times where like a band has truly committed to getting that message across in a way that's relatable without being overwhelming but also without being too optimistic because it's just a song you can't you can't be optimistic about it yeah it's, no, a, not it's a beautiful fucking song yeah for sure go listen to the green fields of france because it's not even really punk rock it's just a gorgeous song yeah i mean we're just under a month away from remembrance day so no time like the present yeah and it feels it's felt super poignant to listen to this album now honestly yeah after that big gush for that song. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm just going to kind of point to the time a little yeah. bit in terms of yeah, the, what we still have to do before we can finish the episode. <laughs> yeah, that's no, okay. So like take it and run. There's really nothing on that. It's a song about a woman who it's not said, but it's implied that she got out of a domestic abuse situation with her kids and times are hard, right? Like waiting in line for, you know, welfare and for food, not knowing if you're going to make it through that winter, but having to try because there's no other option. So again, that's a, that's a very Irish song. It's, it's a lot about the like Irish famine and like the kind of local struggles that families were having that their families personally experienced one or two generations past. Still a really good song. Um, again, they kind of return to more of like an optimistic outlook on bad things with Take It and Run. Yeah. But other than that, there's like, there's nothing really to write about that. I couldn't find any information about it being personal or who it was about. Yeah. I the next one sh I'm shipping up to Boston would be probably if anybody's heard any songs off this album, it might be I'm shipping up to Boston just because it gets a lot of like plays and ads and stuff now for the last couple of years. I don't know why I hear it on our local um, 102.3 here in Edmonton. I, they play it at least once or twice a week. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah. So the cool thing about shipping up to Boston, this is the song that Ken Casey was going through. And I, all I could find was Woody Guthrie's, archives so i'm thinking it's like a collection of unpublished music unwritten lyrics and stuff so ken casey was going through it and they had previously co-opted some of his unused lyrics for a song called there's going to be a blackout okay the chorus in this song like i'm a sailor pegged he lost his leg that first verse rather sorry is that is all that was written on like a little piece of paper or on the outlines of a like a lyric sheet woody fucking guthrie had and they yeah. turned it into this song like they literally, it had four lines and they made a song out of it. Huh. So like, it's just worth touching on Woody Guthrie, one of the most influential American songwriters of all time without even, with no bravado or hesitation, one of the best. Yeah. His like most iconic thing is Woody Guthrie was the one who played with a sticker on his guitar that says this machine kills fascists. Yep. Which <laughs> I just, I know that picture. I have it like snapshotted in my brain and I didn't know that he was essentially the original source of the lyrics for that song. I just think that's super cool. And it's wild to me. They created a two and a half minute song out of four lines and it's <laughs> like lyrically insanely simple for obvious reasons, but it's, it's a good pump up song. Like it's that steady, that like steady repeating beat. It's not hard and fast. It's just energetic almost like shipping up to Boston is a song. I think they play at every concert they've ever held since 
they wrote it and it's just it's yeah, a really good like crowd pump song like it's a no matter what we've played last get in the mood because shit's about to hit it's a good song it's catchy like i said it's one of the few songs that i think gets at least a little bit of like mainstream play out of it yeah so we'll touch on the last three because the last three songs kind of all have at least some sort of story to them the all triangle again such a fun song like the like the all triangle jingle jangle just it's just dumb and fun but the story behind it is there's a play written in the 50s i couldn't find like a properly translated name for it by a man named brendan Bahan. so the all triangle i guess is this big triangular sheet of metal installed in mount joy prison which is the large has the largest prison population in ireland and it's like a gong the guards ring to signify like timings or like certain routines throughout the day okay so the song like was originally written for a play by someone who literally was in that prison for i think it was like five years <laughs> so the whole song is about this giant stupid gong the guards would like ring throughout the day to signify timings and in the original they, they kept a few lyrics but in the original the back half of the song about wishing you <laughs> they were in a women's prison instead <laughs> all the lyrics in the original are like straight up half of the like poem or song or whatever the original was that's just like innuendos for sex <laughs> like like <laughs> royal canal when at one point <laughs> was an innuendo so like the old triangle they just they took the general feeling of it and they took some of the key verses and sounds and then created a song out of it and it actually used to be called the old triangle in the original they just oh, yeah. changed it to the old triangle because that sounds more irish and fun <laughs> yeah it does <laughs> right it feels more authentic and for foreign um but yeah so that song's about being in a prison and wanting to have sex essentially <laughs> and this weird triangular gong that mount joy prison has installed so, interesting yeah <laughs> again that's just a fun old triangle very much feels like a traditional irish like ditty that they've punked yeah, up really right up there with captain kelly's kitchen this is a song that's like oh man this band is irish <laughs> like <laughs> Like, they aren't far from the homeland, because, damn, they got some Irish in them. Like, yeah, definitely. Other than that, I don't have much to say about Old Triangle. I just think it's funny that it's a fucking song that was written by a prisoner about a metal gong the guards had. <laughs> All the shit you can write about in prison, that's what they chose. It's just, that's insane to me. Yeah. So Last Letter Home, this is another super, like, personal thing for me. It's another military song. So Last Letter Home, it's kind of wild. So there was a Marine sergeant whose name was um, Andrew Farrar. Uh, who was killed in active duty in Iraq 2005, like the year this album was released. So when they heard about it, essentially Andrew had written to his mom and they include part of that letter in the lyrics. He had written to his mom that she had sent him the new Dropkick album, like the previous album when he was on tour. And he wrote her letter to say, hey, thanks for sending that to it. I love it. Fields of Athenry. And the lyric in the song is literally, I swear I want them to play that song on the pipes at my funeral when I die. Mm. So the Dropkicks worked with the family. They got their permission, um, included some of the actual correspondence between this Marine Sergeant and his family before he was killed in duty. And it's crazy. So Andrew Farrar was tried to double check. I count a couple conflicting sources, but he was a month or two away from contractual release from the military. Like his contract was up. Uh, of course. And he re-signed because of 9-11. Um, he re-signed in 02, I think. Mm. Unfortunately, went on tour again, and that's where he died. So when when all this happened, essentially, and when the family contacted them, the Dropkicks actually attended Andrew's funeral and performed Fields of Athenry acoustically at the funeral for him. And then they went on to release Fields of Athenry as a kind of limited edition one-off single. With the family's permission, they included the, like, the acoustic rendition at the funeral. And every cent from every single they sold 
got donated to the Andrew Farrar Memorial Fund. So it's it's a heartbreaking song to listen to. Same thing, it's still kind of got that youthful optimism to it. But like contextually, it's about kind of the last few moments of communication between a soldier and his family before he died. And it's, whew, that shit hits me pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's a really tragic backstory. They created something beautiful out of it. As far as I know, they still donate and perform for the Andrew Ferrer Memorial Fund when they have the chance. And just like a heartbreaking real life account of what war is like and how right like most of the song is just about how he's over there and he's proud to be serving his country and he's super grateful his parents are sending him gifts and letters and things to keep him sane and feeling at home and it's just eh, heartbreaking man like i just that was one i felt it was really important to really talk about the backstory of yeah and then plus side because that's super sad um <laughs> the following song the final tessie um so i'm sure plenty of people would know like especially sports fans so tessie was an old red Sox theme um came from an old like 19 uh, 1910 or 1911 play called the silver slipper and it was when the red Sox war won the first world series in 1903 so tessie obviously had to have come before that they won the very first World Series in 03. And a lot of the like, a lot of the spe- like players, I, I've almost said band members, a lot of the players <laughs> attributed their victory because like, I think it was halfway through the the like final game, a bunch of spectators got up and started singing Tessie, the original Red Sox theme. And they just essentially this huge crowd of people just started singing their their anthem and that huge boost to morale and kind of camaraderie, they say is what led them to the victory. So fast forward a bit so the <laughs> the red sox went 86 years without a victory it was from 1920 fuck what, no 1916 to 2004 the red sox did not win a world series it's the so, curse of the bambino right curse of the bambino right so the crazy thing about this is the dropkicks released tessie in june of 04 <laughs> when they released it they explicitly told like some people at like like the red sox managers the boston herald sports writer they were like, oh, you know, this, just like it used, it won us the first, this is going to win us again. And then halfway through the, like, series or whatever, the Red Sox were down. Like, they were losing to the Yankees. And I guess the band started getting, like, death threats and shit from crazy sports fans who said they had, like, jinxed the team and how they need to leave the Red Sox alone because <laughs> without them, uh-huh. the Red Sox would have won. And then, fucking, lo and behold, comes October 2004, the Red Sox fucking win their first victory in 86 years. The same year, <laughs> Dropkicks re-released Tessie with the proclamation, this song is going to win us another <laughs> series. <laughs> it's just one of those incredible cosmic coincidences that just happens sometimes. The Red Sox fucking won. Like, and I guess shit got wild. Death threats turned into like hundreds of thousands of fan letters and emails being like, oh my god, you did it. Like, Tessie came back and you know, won us the series. So this second version of Tessie apparently actually has four Red Sox players in the backup vocals and was co-written by the head sports writer for the Boston Herald. So it's now the official theme song of the Red Sox. Like the Dropkicks cover of Tessie has become the new theme of the Red Sox. That's awesome. Yeah, it's just, that's just a really cool, really fun end to the album is that, man, there's hundreds of thousands of people in the States out there who think the Dropkicks are the reason (laughs) <laughs> finally won because they released a new version of tessie um sports are so funny that way yeah, sports are wild man i can't believe they got death threats over it like i can but i shouldn't be able to <laughs> like the fucking vancouver riots 
<laughs> um, yeah, so <laughs> the Dropkicks re-released Tessie and won the World Series that year. It was just a crazy cosmic coincidence that really worked out for them because Ken Casey said, like, man, we were getting serious death threats over it. <laughs> like, Yeah, like, thank- that could have gone so badly for them. <laughs> said, thank God things turned around for the Red Sox and for us that year. Like, <laughs> um, But yeah, so there you go. That's the Warriors code. A lot of really cool kind of personal touches to it. Overall, a very incredible collection of just songs. I was going to say of punk, but it's it's a little bit of punk. Some of it's traditional Irish like folk. Some of it's sad, somber, minor key song. It's just, it's a really, really great collection of unexpected and sometimes unconventional sounds and messages while yeah. still being inherently and in, like at its core punk rock. Yeah. 100%. Well, man, I got to thank you. You you really have carried this episode. You clearly love this album. You love this band. You love the history of them. And you have so much like cool little factoids and things, fun facts and all that. So I really enjoyed just kind of sitting back and listening to you tell me why you love this band. And it's been great. So thanks for letting me chime in now and then. <laughs> but this, this has been awesome. I'm sorry I don't have much more to add to it. It was just a great listening experience. But For me, I don't like this is obviously been a big part of your life. And it's just really cool to listen to you talk about why you love this album so much. And this we may be sort of switching roles next week, potentially, when we switch back to one that I've listened to a shitload throughout my life. But I was just gonna say thank you for giving me the chance. Yeah, it's just it's something I'm kind of it's one of the few things I'm genuinely really passionate about. Um, And honestly, I I really appreciate that because the whole reason we started talking about music and started kind of conceptualizing this podcast was because when we used to talk at work, I loved hearing you talk about the bands you were passionate in, especially because a lot of them were new to me or things I never truly had listened to. So it gave me that new perspective to go out and try it. Um, And yeah, I'm kind of expecting that next week, the roles might flip a little bit. They might. But I'm excited either way. Yeah, me too. Okay, so for the sake of time, we got to do our new segment. Do you have do you have a songbird? Do you have a songbird from this album? Yeah, you know, again, touching on how songbirds aren't necessarily bad. I've got to say the songbird in this album is definitely the Greenfields of France. I completely agree. Right? It's just it's the only track that's truly an outlier and really just destroys the flow. And they do it for maximum impact, and it's incredible. But it's definitely the songbird of this album. Like no ifs, ands, or buts about that. It's the Greenfields of France. Like <laughs> yep, you come right out of Citizen CIA, where you're just like you know. Again, fist pumping, and you're like, fuck the government and all that stuff. And then it's just like, is that a fight? Yeah, right? It's just, that's <laughs> such a wild two track kind of like back to back, and it's songbird all yep. over the place. 100%. Couldn't agree more. Just the one songbird on this album. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Next week, I guess we're back to my turn. So the album that I want to do is uh, one that I've listened to so many times as a kid my dad played the hell out of it and it's actually the artist that's the first concert real concert i ever went to it's krista berg live in dublin i think it's called krista berg high on high on emotion live in dublin unfortunately as we discussed a couple weeks ago and i kind of gave you the heads up on this it's not on spotify Mm -hmm. but i think the concert is in video form on youtube so I'm just going to say that that's my choice. If it becomes preventative, I will pick something else that is probably like my second choice or something that we listened to a shit ton growing okay, up. Yeah, for sure. Like we'll give it a shot. I've got no bones about using like a 
kind of a live recording, especially because like we had talked about, that's a totally different experience. And I think it's important that we still try to capture the fact that that's different. So it's Christopher High in Ireland, High in Dublin. High in emotion, live in Dublin. There we go. That makes more sense. <laughs> I was like, is this seriously just called High in Dublin? No, no, no. But yeah, this is something that I have not listened to in its entirety. In Renee and I went through a phase where we listened to it kind of right after Liam was born. So 15 years is probably the last time I listened to this thing the whole way through. But I have so many memories of listening to this song, which I will get into next week. Yeah, I'm excited to hear about it. I'm excited to give this a shot. Thank you for listening to me talk for the last like hour. Oh, yeah, this has been great. Thanks so much. Um, I really, really enjoyed this album. Like I say, I'm, I'm sorry I couldn't add more to it, but I really just wanted to give you the space to talk about all your memories with this album because the difference is, is you know, there, there's a big difference between something that we bought for ourselves that maybe we, you know, you still listen to the gorillas, you said, but like we grew out of, but like this to the music that, you know, our parents introduced us to, you know, at a younger age is something that I think carries a lot more memories. Yeah. And it's really, really awesome to hear this album meant to your dad and hear what it meant to you and hear what it still means to you and like all of the things that you've learned about it and all the fun facts and stuff. So not to completely repeat what I said previously, I really enjoyed just listening to you talk and I hope our listeners did too. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Like it was a really, really good idea. Um, It taught me a lot, honestly, about myself and about my musical preferences. It was a totally different experience listening to gorillas again, as opposed to this. And yeah, it was just, it was a really cool, really fun experience. And I'm excited to see your chance to do that. Yeah. So uh, for the sake of time, <laughs> I think we'll get into it then. But thanks again, Stephen. And if you're listening to us, thanks so much. And we will catch you next week. See ya. Thanks for listening to Life to Labyrinth podcast. Theme music by Devin Rose. Find Devin on Bandcamp or any streaming service. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Life Number Two Labyrinth. <laughs>